Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 20, uh, well, chapter 1. I don't know why I said that. Chapter 1. Now, I want to, you've heard me quote this first part of John quite a bit. And in Sunday school today, we were talking about when was, when, what gospel talks the most about the incarnation of Jesus. And the incarnation is when Jesus shows up on this earth as a human being. That's what we're talking about. And I asked, which gospel talks about that? And I had an answer of John 1. And it was, that was actually what today's sermon was going to be about, but I was thinking that most people would say Luke 2 because it talks so much about the details of Jesus coming into this world as a human. And it's very detailed in Luke. And Luke uses a couple thousand, probably in between two to three thousand words to describe all of the details about God coming down and becoming a human being and walking on this earth. But the book of John gets right to the point. The book of, see, John, I mean, let, me read, let me read something out of this little book here. He describes it very well. So the title is The Word Made Flesh. So I need to read the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Notice the notice word, and the Greek would be logos. Jesus is referred to as the word. And you might think, why? Why would he be referred to as the word? But it, notice it's capital W, so that means something. And if you were a new person to the faith and you opened up your Bibles, and you read that right there, you, would, you would, might be confused. I can remember the very first time I ever read it, a long, long time ago, and I was confused. In the beginning was the Word. And then later on, so if you keep reading, and you get down to 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's all it says about the incarnation. John, what I said in Sunday school, was John could do, what did I, what, how did I say it? Oh, I did it in minutes. I said, what, I, what takes me 40 minutes to explain, John would walk up here and do it in four. So I needed to learn, I need to learn from John to be able to, instead of being a wordy preacher, it would be better if I was a weighty preacher, right? A good writer 
doesn't have to be wordy. He can be weighty and really get the point across in very few words. Now you know why I like the Gospel of Luke so well. Luke uses between two to 3,000 words to describe the incarnation of Jesus Christ. I like stories. I like listening to good stories. So, there, so we have a balance that we need to have, right? Sometimes we need to give a lot of details and talk about something to educate and get knowledge so you know what to believe in. But then there are those times where you just get right to the point and use very good, select, powerful words and get your point across and move on. Right? Some of the most popular things that you will see are really short videos, really short sayings that you'll remember. Okay, so just a little bit of facts about the book of John. There is no genealogy, no birth account, no boyhood. This is talking all the things about Jesus that the other Gospels will go into detail about, some great detail. So no, you don't see Jesus as a boy. You don't see his baptism. You don't see his temptation. Remember how Satan takes him out and tempts him? You don't see that in John. No Gethsemane? Really? Everything in the book of John is directed to prove his main point, and his main point is that Jesus is God. There are no scribes, no lepers, no publicans, no demoniacs. John does not record a single parable. We were trying to find one in Sunday school. We were trying to think of one. If you find one, I'll, this book might be wrong. So if you see a parable in the book of John, let me know. And, there, and there's only eight miracles that are called signs in the book of John. And five of them are not found in any other gospel. They're just for, for John. In the first chapter of, of his gospel, John sets Jesus before us in two ways. As the infinite creator and as the incarnate creator. So we see that in what I just read. Out of the first, very, very first verse, I'm going to read it again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So it doesn't say in the beginning began Jesus, or Jesus appeared. It says, in the beginning, He was already there. In the beginning, was. It's, it's continuous. And the Word was with God. So, the Word, Jesus, is equal with God. And the Word was God. So, how is it that you can be with, two, and was, one. So we're, we're getting back to that. Not that long ago, we talked about all the significance of three and how creation being made in the image of God and all of creation, you look at creation, and, and if you really get into creation and start to 
uh, look into it with great detail, you are going to see the threes over and over and over again. And I, and I had a whole list of things for you. So we have to remember that three is so important in Scripture. I think there was th 333 definite messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. I don't know how accurate that is, but I just saw that recently. That there was 333 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. Three, three, three. Three threes. And if it is, it's not going to surprise me one bit if it was that many. Now, getting back to the word, the same, verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So why is Jesus referred to as the Word? You remember uh, a few weeks ago talked about how, talking about the progression of sin, what, what it does. It's probably that one about leprosy and sin. A thought. Sow a thought, reap a word. So, why is Jesus reap a word, or sow a word, reap an act? So, we, we, first there's a thought. You think things, and then you put it to word, and then something happens. Because no one knows what you are thinking and tell you, tell them about it. Whether you draw a picture, write it out, or say it, then they know what you were thinking. And then, once you put it out on paper, or you put it out in word, then people can do something with it, or you can do something with it. So, people, people are creative, people come up with a thought, an idea, and then they do the directions, this is how you do it. This is what I was thinking. Now anybody can see it, and now you can actually do something. You can make something, or you can go do something. Does that all make sense to you? So a word gives form and expression to an invisible thought. I'm going to replace two words here. Jesus, I just said, a word gives form and expression to an invisible thought. Jesus, instead of the word, Jesus and the word are the same in verse 1. Jesus gives form and expression to an invisible God. Are you getting it? The, what John is doing here, John is writing this out, and he wants to make sure we understand that if things require thought then thought requires a thinker. And Jesus is the one who created everything. Jesus, when you think about Jesus, he has to be equal, yet different, than God the Father. So we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Right? That's, 
the main word, God, and what is God? Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Right? That's what makes God singular. When we open up our Bibles, in the beginning, God, and it's plural. If you go to the Hebrew, it's Elohim, which is plural. But created, the, the plural God singularly did something. So God will manifest himself in diff three different ways, either as the Son or as the Father or as the Holy Ghost. Now, do you have electricity coming into your house? Do we have electricity coming into this building? There's one electrical current that's coming into this building, and it will manifest itself in light. See it? The heat pump's running, giving us a little heat. It will manifest itself in heat. And then if you happen to get the vacuum cleaner out and, and vacuum this carpet, you'll see the power. So it's going, to, it's going to represent itself in three different ways. The electrical current, the one electrical current, it will come into this building and it will represent itself in one of those three ways that you may see. Sometimes all at the same time. John, with this, the verb was, in the beginning was, he's trying to help us understand that there was not a start, but a state. It, it wasn't the beginning of anything. It's in the beginning was the word. You know, God is not operating in time like we are. We have to have time to keep us straight. We have to know that we, we, ha we have a certain time to be here and a time that we're going to leave. If the preacher ever gets done and shuts up, we can leave at this time. We have to operate in time. We have to know about things that happened in the past, things that are going on right now, and we look to the future. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something out of this, out of this, this some uh, guy who wrote it a long, long time ago. It's fascinating. But the future is coming hard and fast to each and every one of us. The future is actually already predetermined, but your destiny, is it predetermined? I want you to think about that. You know, there was a time, a long time ago, where today was a long way in the future, right? Years and years ago, there was a, there was a time when, let's say today was 2,000 years away. About to, maybe when Jesus was walking around Jerusalem, and he knew that today was, go, was going to come. And then it was years before it came. Then it was a month before today showed up. And then it was just hours. I mean, it, it was yesterday, and then it's now it's today. And it came whether we wanted it to or not. And then uh, tomorrow, today will be part of the past. And then it keeps going back. Now, the future is actually first. And as we are walking, the future is just rushing through our present time and then going into the past.
It's crazy, isn't it, to think about that. God is not restricted on anything according to time like we are. God already sees the future. He knows it all because He has no beginning. He has no end. It's all the same to Him. But yet we have to realize that the future is coming. Now, you, you have a future. Now, the song we sang was, when we all get to heaven, but are we all going to get to heaven? If, if somebody, if people came to this church and they don't know Jesus and they're sitting here and they sing, when we all get to heaven, just like we do, is that true? Are we all going to get to heaven? Heaven is, is a done deal. Some of us are going there, but yet some of us are not. The future is predetermined. You're going to one or the other. And there are certain people who will say that even you have it's been predetermined where you're going. So why do we pray for those who need to be led to the Lord? Why do we go out and seek them and tell them about the Lord? Why do we do things that keep us alive if it's already predetermined when the day we are going to die? We don't do certain things so that we can live longer. So individually, you might go this direction or you might go that direction. What determines the direction you go in the future Maybe it's a lot about the things that have happened in your past. That you walked right through it on a particular day. You're, right now, it's the present. And, and everything you do right now, in the now, you're making decisions, you're thinking, and you're either zoning out and falling asleep and not listening to anything, thinking about what you're going to do later, or you might be listening and hearing the Word of God, it might be changing you. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do. What you did last night will affect what's going on right now while you're sitting in a church service. Have you come to church ready to worship God Almighty? What did you do the day before that's preparing you for today, for this very moment, of being in the presence of all of God's people in this house of God. If, you, if we stayed up late doing terrible things till 2 in the morning and you come in here and you're falling asleep, you know, that you, what you did in the past will determine what you do today. Are you learning from your past? And now you're going to, instead of going that direction, you're going to go this direction because you've learned your lessons. So the future is really first, but chronologically, we look at it from the past all the way up to the future of something in the, later on. But I don't think God looks at it that way. The future is predetermined, but where you end up in the future has a lot to do with what you learned from your past, what has happened in your past. Do you remember it? Does it guide you? Now, so we have time. Time is the big word. You have future, present, and past. Remember, God, Father, Son, 
Holy Spirit. Remember those two things. The main word, God, and the main word, time, and the three different things that make up God and time. Remember what I said about one God manifesting himself in three persons. Remember the mathematical way to look at it. Do not, if somebody says to you, one plus one plus one equals three, you say, one times one times one equals one. Right? One God. One God manifests himself in three persons. Now, here's, the, here's that uh, writing that this guy, Dr. Nathan Wood, did years and years ago. This is pretty cool. Listen very, very carefully to this. This is, this is uh, awesome. Talking about time, the future is the source. It is both unseen and unknown, except as it embodies itself and makes itself visible in the present. So what's, what's going to happen five minutes from now is in the future, and we can't see it, but all of a sudden, it, it goes right through us, and we, we know it. In the present, we know it, but then it goes into our past. So what happened just a few minutes ago is now in the past. Are y'all getting that? So the future is the source is both unseen and unknown, except as it embodies itself and makes itself visible in the present. The present is what we see, hear, and know. Right, the here and now is what we see, hear, and know. The present perpetually reveals the future, hitherto invisible and unknown. The future is logically first, but not chronologically first, because the present exists as long as time exists and was there in the very beginning. Time acts in and through the present, and it is by means of the present that time and the future enter into human experience. The past proceeds from the present though the present is not the source of the past. Are y'all hanging on to this? The future is the source of both past and present. The past acts invisibly. It continually influences us with regard to the present and casts light on the present. That is its great function. It helps us to live in proper relation with the present, which we know, and with reference to the future, which we expect to see. I know, that's deep, deep, deep stuff, right? Now, now, all the places where it said time, we're going to put God in. All the places where it said present, we're going to put Jesus the Son in. All the places... Where it says future, we're going to put Father. And the places where it said past, we're going to put Holy Spirit. Now listen to it. Remember, the future is the source. Well, now the Father is the source. He is both unseen and unknown, 
except as he embodies himself and makes himself visible in the Son, the present. The future makes itself visible in the present. The Father makes himself visible. He's unseen, right? But he makes himself visible in the Son. The Son is who we see, hear, and know. The Son perpetually reveals the Father, hitherto invisible and unknown. The Father is logically first, but not chronologically first, because the Son exists as long as God, God, time, exists and was there in the very beginning. God, time, acts in and through the Son, the present, all the time. That's what we see right here in the present, the Son, Jesus. And it is by the means of the Son that God the Father enters into the human experience. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Son. Remember, the Son had to go so He can send the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Son. Though the Son is not the source of the Holy Spirit, the Father is the source of both the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit acts invisibly. He continually influences us with regard to the Son and casts light on the Son. That's what the Holy Spirit's job is, right? This is His, the Holy Spirit's, great function. He helps us live in proper relation with the Son, whom we know, and with reference to the Father, whom we expect to see. Isn't that awesome? Dr. Nathan Wood wrote that many, many years ago. I mean, I, I'm, I'm studying and reading and prepping for sermon and I just got tears just running down my face. Isn't that just, just blow your mind? How God the Father, and you see how the very time that we live in, we time, the future like I said before, is coming hard and fast at each and every one of us. Your future is coming. There's nothing you can do to stop it. Every day, you're one day closer to whether you're going to be in heaven or hell. The future is predetermined. You're going there. You're going there. But you individually, must allow the Holy Spirit to guide and influence and to shed light on the Son of God who can save you from your sins, to direct you to the proper way you want to go for your future, which is the Father, or not. Time, time. I'm going to look at the time. I got the time right here. Now, do you want to be saved. Let's say somebody is in here right now and they want a salvation experience. See, I was prepping this message for... I, I, had, a, I had certain people in my mind and I could see them. And I was prepping this and I would... Do, do you want to be saved? Do you want salvation? And, and, you want, and, you're, and you're, you're raising your hand, you're saying, I want it. I want it. What do I have to do? 
And if you want salvation, and you're asking me, I want salvation, I'm like, well, did you bring a bunch of money with you today? It's salvation. Do you understand that salvation is so uh, precious and that it is worth so much? You are on your way to hell and destruction and total uh, misery for the rest of eternity, but yet God can give you salvation that you'll spend the rest of eternity in heaven. That's worth a lot of money. Did you bring money today? It's worth millions. Did you bring money? I don't have any money. I'm poor. I don't have any money. Well, good, because the salvation is not for sale. And it's great that you're not bringing money because it, it wouldn't do you any good if you tried to buy it. But, did you bring a lamb? Did you bring a lamb with you today? Because Ezekiel says that the soul that sinneth, it will die. We're told in Romans that those who uh, practice sin, they're worthy of death and you must die for your sin. You're, you're under the death penalty. So did you bring that little lamb? Because something needs to take your spot. And that little lamb has got innocent blood. Did you bring the lamb? Well, I'm glad you didn't bring the lamb because Jesus is the perfect lamb of God, spotless, without, without blemish, blemish, and he died in your place. So I'm glad you didn't bring the lamb. But what about your part? What about, have you, have you given money to the poor? Have you been to church enough? You've been keeping track of how many times? Have you been reading your Bible? Uh, all the things that you could bring in and say, look, I've done this, I've done that, I've done that. Have you got a list for me? Because you really should have done a whole lot of good stuff to be saved, right? I'm glad you left the list at home. Because bringing that list in would do absolutely nothing for you to get salvation. All the good things, all of your righteousness are as filthy rags and don't bring it here. You know, it's wonderful that you go do all these great things, but that's because most of you are already saved, you're on your way to heaven, and you're going to go do great things. But if you want salvation, leave all your works out of here and come to Jesus who has already paid for it, who's already shed His blood and taken your place, and He's done all the work. So what can you give the Lord? Just give Him your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, You have shown us the way. And Father, as we prepare our hearts to sing our final hymn, Father, I pray that anybody who wants true salvation will come to you knowing that they don't deserve it, knowing they cannot afford it, knowing that their Savior, Jesus, has taken their place. But Father, that we, are, we would only be wanting to give our hearts to, to you, Father. Father, I pray as we sing this last hymn that anybody who wants to come forward and just kneel down at the altar before you, just wanting to give their heart to you. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.